to James chapter 2. I have been blessed. Just thank the Lord for encounter worship. Amen. 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 Would you rest your eyes on verse 1 of James chapter 2? My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Let's say that together. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we bless you for all that our hearts have felt. Thank you for ministering to us in spirit and in truth. And Father, we thank you that your presence is clearly here. And now, oh God, we pray that you would just continue to do a work in us, in, in the inner man, that we might be renewed in our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name, in the church said, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. As a father of four, and uh, I have shared with, if the fan is on, I have uh, some missing follicles up here, and it seems to blow right down on my head. So help a, help a brother out. As a father of four children, I've attended a lot of awards banquets. All of our children, I believe, have been blessed from the experience of attending culturally diverse schools. White children, Asian, Hispanic, African Indians, and other groups of students from various backgrounds. I love the exposure that our children had as a result of the encounters afforded to them by attending these types of schools. Something unusual uh, caught my attention as our children got older. When they were young, many of their closest friends were white. However, as they entered into the teen years, all that changed. Their best friends were now all the same color. Another thing that struck me as strange, but normal in terms of my experience of going to school banquets and functions, is that although my sons in particular played on the same teams as their classmates and did battle on the field of uh, sports, 
Together, whenever you would go to a banquet, whites would be on one side of the room, and African Americans and people of color would be on the opposite side of the room. I thought that was unusual. Amen. Maybe you haven't experienced that, but uh, my son went to a Newark, and then there were schools in Niagara Falls, New York. And although they were, as I've already said, on the same team, here they are on the same, sitting on opposite sides of the room. Um, what is, if you want to test this experience that I'm talking about, take the time to visit a local high school tomorrow during their lunch break, and you will clearly see segregation is alive and well in America. One group of students is sitting on one side of the cafeteria, and then there's an entirely different group on the opposite. Now, why is there such a great divide between teenagers and adults that did not exist when they were children? Now, before I answer that question, I want to respond to anyone that's here. You may know someone that fits in this category, or maybe you are a guest of our church, and you're thinking, that's why I attend a mixed church. I don't go to an all-black church, an all-white church, all-Hispanic or Asian. And I want to suggest to you that your church is not mixed if the only people that make decisions in that church are the same color. That's not a mixed church. And if your highest expectation at a church like that is that you're going to be able to sing or serve in the background, but you have absolutely no influence on the decisions that are made, that is not in Antioch. In, in, in Acts chapter 11, it says they were first called Christians in Antioch, and they had a mixed cultural ethical, ethics uh, leadership, where they were blacks, they were whites, etc. And so don't be too quick to pat yourself on the back if you go to a church where people are different colors, that doesn't mean that there's equality in that church. Now, here's what has changed our children from the innocence and the openness that they had as youngsters that is no longer often true when they become teenagers. They have learned how to be racist, prejudice, discriminatory, and bias from the adults in their lives. Children are not born racist. They're not born biased or prejudiced or discriminating. They learn it. If not from you, from other adults that they are exposed to. Let me say something else, and this is not going to change how we think because it is so engraved in the way we have been programmed. 
and brainwashed. The word race is a man-made term. It is not from God. It rose in popularity during the during American, the, the period when American slavery was most prominent. And it was promulgated and taught by pseudo-scientists to allow slave owners to feel comfortable with the institution of slavery. The term race originally was used in France where, where it was where it made its first debut to refer to animals. Animals are different species, not human beings. The Bible never identifies people based on artificial external features such as the color of our skin. There's no such thing as a white race or a black race or an Asian race or a Chinese race. I defy you to read any reparable scientist and see them attempt to define race. They can't do it because there's no such thing as multiple races among humans. It is not a biblical concept. God's word never identified people based on artificial features such as skin color, the shape and size of your head, to determine because your head, your cranium is larger than someone else, that means you're going to have a larger brain, a greater capacity. That's how you teach people to be prejudiced and develop a mindset of superiority. That's how you justify subjugating an entire group of people by saying that they're subhuman. That is not based on the word of God. The texture of your hair. The curvature of your nose, you have a wide nose, a pointed nose. The configuration of your hips or buttocks does not define you as being a part of a particular race because if you, all you saw is a person from the shoulders down, fully clothed, you would not be able to, oh, that must be, no, you, don't, you can't identify people based on, their, based on race by physical features. There's only one race, the human race. We are all homo sapiens, human beings. And we are all descendants from the same two parents. Their names are Adam and Eve. We all came from the same mama and papa. And like Adam, we're all dirt. We're just different shades. And one day, we're going back to the dirt from which we were created. I'm not going to change your mind. When you, when you fill out applications, the first, one of the first questions they ask, what race are you? I want to just put an X over it. Human race. Human race. I want, I, I'm suggesting to you that the, 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 the suggestion, the arrogance of dividing people based on Physical features is racist. The concept itself, if you accept that as if we are somehow different, we've got the same DNA, we bleed the same way. 
And if you take our heart out and give it to a person of a different color, if the heart is working, our heart will work in their body just as well as it will work in our bodies. Because God made us all of one flesh. We turn our attention to James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. We will discover the danger of mistreating people because of external differences. It's a dangerous thing to mistreat God's creation based on superficial, physical characteristics. The Bible says that God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. Now listen to uh, verses 2 through 4. For if there should come into this church, this assembly, a man with gold rings, Michael Jordan, Steph Curry, Max contract dudes, in fine apparel, and there should also be one in poor, a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there. Or sit there at my footstool. You sit on the floor. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil intentions? You put yourself in the place of God. Tell somebody, you can sit next to me. Oh, say it like you mean. Oh, you can say it like, you can sit with me. I don't know about her. I don't know about him. It don't matter if you got what you have on or where you came from. You can sit with me. In James chapter 2, the apostle James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, is teaching about the difference between real faith and fake faith, living faith and dead faith true and false faith. One of the things that he says, he says, faith without works, without evidence, is not real faith. It is perpetrated faith. And he says, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, because when we simply hear and not do, that's not living faith. That's fake faith. And so one of the clearest evidences of real faith is how you think of others and how you treat them. So show, they, James says, show me your faith and I'll show you my works by how I treat people. <laughs> the way you treat people created in the image of God is one of the greatest litless tests of where you are spiritually, even to the degree where the Bible says the devil or demons believe in right doctrine. They know the Bible better than we do. And the scripture says they tremble, but they do not have living faith. It's not enough to make an ascent, an intellectual ascent of facts that don't change the way you live. And so he says... There ought to be 
evidence in your life when it comes to how you treat people and think of them. Now, there are just two ways that James demonstrates the evidence of true faith in our lives. And one of the things that he says about living faith, the true faith, real faith, is that faith that works, real faith, does not show partiality. Genuine blood, the blood of Jesus cleansing faith does not show partiality. And we'll break that down. And then secondly, that's in verses 1 through 7. Then secondly, he says, faith that works loves the way God loves. If you have real faith, you're going, to have, you're going to have the same love that God has poured in your heart. You're going to demonstrate that towards others. He says two things about faith that, that works that doesn't show partiality. The first thing he says in verse 1 is that partiality is real in the church. It's alive and well in the church. Well, why do you know? Because the people to whom Paul or, or James directs his remarks to, he says, my brethren. He's talking to Christians. Folks who say, for God so little world that he gave it on people that have made a profession of faith. So the fact that these words are directed for instruction to Christians indicates that there was a problem in the church. So partiality, and the word partiality can also be translated favoritism, bias, discrimination. And so he says, the reality is in the church. We don't want to talk about it. It's uncomfortable to us. We act like everything's cool. God is good. And all the time, God is good. We tell people, I love you. And we don't love people beyond the surface. He says that partiality, showing favoritism, mistreating people based on perceived advantages or some position of superiority exists in the church of Jesus Christ. My brethren, hear me. I don't know what they're going to say in the church down the road, but I'm telling you today that this is a real problem in the church that people get mistreated because of partiality. The Apostle Paul exposes it. And some of you, like me, we grew up, we're told, don't judge a book by its cover. We didn't judge people. When people walk in the door of the church, our judgment meter starts. Where are they from? You know how we determine where they're from and who they are, how they dress? What did they drive up? We, now, we're not so big. I, I don't think that that's a big deal here at our church. But my point is that we're often guilty of judging people from, their, from our first encounter with them. They, they are who we have determined them to be based on pre-existing prejudices of our own. We prejudge. The church ought to be a no-judgment zone. And unfortunately, because we read, we have concluded what the book is all about before we read it, therefore that in influences how we treat people, yeah. who we will include and who we won't. Wow. They didn't go to Dallas Seminary. Well, if they didn't go to Dallas Seminary, of course they don't treat you. No, 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 that's not true. We're part of the body of Christ. Yeah. 
That's the question. Are you saved? Are you part of the body of Christ? And if you aren't, I pray that you will be. And so the first thing that we need to understand is partiality is real. It's real. And all of us have experienced it. And unfortunately, all of us have been guilty of showing favoritism or prejudging people and often finding out later that that person that you had already determined was a certain way was entirely different from what you thought. The second thing that he says is partiality is wrong because it is based on superficial and temporal things. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold and fine apparel. So the way we make our decisions about the value and worth and significance of people is often by these very categories that are, are false. We determine race by pointedness of a person's nose and the texture of their hair. We also do that to people, where they live, where they went to school, what titles they had. And so what makes it wrong is that the judgment is determined by external things that really don't reveal a person's true nature, their heart. Partiality is wrong. Somebody say partiality is wrong. wrong. Now, let me give you four reasons in this text why it's wrong. By mistreating people based on prejudging them, misunderstanding them. Don't trust a man. <laughs> every man's a dog. Every man can't be. Nobody done told you that. Uh, this is how you should deal with men, et cetera. Why should you deal with them based on what somebody told you? And you've already determined before you've evaluated your situation. And you don't, all you've done is set yourself up to wreck your relationship because you haven't gotten to know the, know the person. Stay with me. We're going somewhere. Somebody say Amen. So partiality is wrong. It's wrong because it violates God's word. God commands us not to show favoritism. When you discriminate against a person, you are sinning, and this is what the word of God, do not hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. We're commanded, don't do it. It's wrong. You know how white people are. You know how black people, they don't really want to work. They aren't really serious. They don't stay with their, their husbands, don't stay with their wives. They're always complaining. And one of the things that I believe that's going to change the narrative about racism in our country, again, the term, because it's become so weaponized, it's a weapon, that what's going to turn how people think is not going to be because black people keep yelling at the top of their voices that there's a problem. It's going to be pastors of white churches who are, who are acknowledging the reality of it. It's going to be our brothers who are a different color than we are who are going to be championing the re- what God says is sin. Partiality, racism, discrimination, sexism, genderism, it's sin. The Bible says do not do it. In fact, it's even clearer in verse 9. Again, we see this uh, in verse 9. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law 
as a transgressor. One of the things that happens whenever you sin, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, he came to instruct us in righteousness. He came to convict us and to correct us. When we sin, there ought to be conviction. But I want, I want to suggest to you that in certain areas of our life, that it becomes so much a part of the, the, the fabric. It's so systemic, systemic in our country, so natural, it's like breathing, that we don't even know when we're guilty of it. It says, you, the word of God, when we violate it, should bring conviction by the Holy Spirit because now you are a transgressor. You have broken the law. And I want to suggest to you that what we need to do as we spend time in the word of God and he reveals those areas in our life that are not like him, the more I am coming clean with the Lord, the more I am confessing. The Bible says, if we confess our sin, homo legeo, if I agree with God that I'm wrong with, about what he says I'm wrong, the more I'm doing that, the greater my sensitivity to racism and sex, the greater I have a sensitivity to it. I think we become callous. There's so many mass murders and shootings, we, we don't even think about it anymore. Oh, 12 people just got killed in Virginia. Aren't you going to the beach next week? We don't even think about it. And I want to suggest to you that what is breaking the heart of God is really not in the thoughts of many of those who name Christ as Savior. The Bible says that partiality is wrong. It violates the word of God. It's sin. It's sin. Partiality is wrong because it is based on superficial and temporal things. And I've said that titles and, and, and your figure and, and how, how light-skinned. And, and this is not just white and black. Blacks discriminate against each other based on the texture of their hair and, and, and how thin you are. And can you wear four? Can I wear eight? And how long is this and that? We discriminate. And the Bible says that when you judge people based on those things, not only is it devastating to them because you never get to really know them, but it's devastating to you because when you compare yourself with other people through false judgment, then now that becomes a standard in which you judge yourself. That's why we have so many insecure people posting on Facebook and posting on Instagram. We all want to be significant. We want the world to stop. Notice me. I'm important. Somebody say they like me. I actually have to tell you, I don't stop sending me Facebook messages. I hardly look. But it's almost <laughs> sickening. It's sickening. But it's, there's a void. We're not talking to each other on the phone. We're not spending one-on-one -on -one time to really develop meaningful relationships. We are, we are hiding behind the safety of technology to cover the nakedness of our insecurities. Don't judge people by how much their shoes cost. If, it, if they're Jordans or, or if they're LeBrons. Don't think for one minute that you have a greater value than I because you shopped at Neiman Markets and I went to Target. Don't you misunderstand because one day you will be in the same predicament that I am. We'll be doing what the Bible calls dying and it won't matter because we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain, I saw a man who refused to pay child support and his baby died of SIDS, sudden death infant syndrome. 
and he took out a $500 bill at the funeral, and he placed it in that baby's hand, in the casket. And the morticians, both of them were like, which one is going to get it first? That money did not go in the ground. But even if it did, it would do her no good. What shall it, the Bible says that you cannot make your worth based on physical features. The Bible, everything that we see, we, for we look not at the things that are seen, for that which is seen is passing away, but that which is unseen, the inward man is being renewed day by day. That is where the emphasis from God's perspective is. I want you to know that Jesus even experienced being judged based on his external appearance. He was in Nazareth. That's where he was born and raised. And the scripture says that they were astonished at the authority in which he taught. They were amazed and shocked by the ability to heal. They had never heard anyone so skilled as him. Then someone said, isn't that Joseph's son? Ain't he a blue-collar kid? Ain't he the guy whose mother got pregnant before Joseph and he got pregnant out of wedlock and uh, then they come, then that boy come from North Philly. He came from the hood of Nazareth. And by the time they got finished picking Jesus apart by external characteristics, the Bible says that they all were offended by him. And here's the sad part. The Bible says he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. I want you to understand there's potential in you. There's destiny in you. There's gifted and greatness in you. But if you are around people who are constantly judging you because of your external characteristics, you will never become all that you can become because they don't believe in what God has already declared is true of you. That's why the Bible says that the power of life and death is in what you say. You're constantly calling your child dumb. Why do you think they act that way? Partiality is wrong because it, it bases its judgments, its conclusions on external things. Your get-out-of-jail card shouldn't be the color of your skin. Your opportunity to get a position at a job shouldn't be based on the color of your skin or who you have brown nose. That's called favoritism. That's partiality. It shouldn't be based on whose palms you have greased by paying illegal under-the-table fees. That's called entitlement. That's called privilege. And the Bible said it should not be amongst those who call on the name of Jesus. Here's another reason why partiality is wrong. It's, it's evil. It's evil. When you think about those 12 people, 11 people who got gunned down by a man who greeted them as they came in the door to work. Good morning. Hope you have a great day. And then five, five minutes later, he's shooting those same people at point blank range. That's evil. But God also says racism, sexism, treating people bad because of their age, it's, that's evil too. Listen to what the scripture says. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's evil to mistreat people based on an attitude that somehow 
you have an advantage or superiority over them because of some external characteristic. Everybody don't look as good as me, so I have some advantage. I understand that. I say this all the time. If you don't tell yourself you look good, who will? I, I, after I was at, I was, uh, I thought I was looking pretty, pretty, pretty spry, fresh, spry or whatever. Spry, yeah. And we're going over there to Wawa's to get me a cup of coffee. And a brother standing in front of the door, he was filthy. I mean, hair, this wasn't even the, the style. This is just dirty. And he said, hey, hey, Pops. <laughs> hey, Pops. Hey, Pops. I wanted to say you. <laughs> Praise the Lord, you lovely creature of God. <laughs> I had to say to my wife, do I, do I, do I'm wearing the wrong kind of clothes here. She said, you're all right, you're all right. Ain't nothing like an old man trying to be young. But he discriminated against me. It's shown partiality and at the same time had his hand out. Talking about, can you help a brother out? Should have given him a bar of soap. How many of you believe that abortion is sin? Raise your hand. Is it sin? Thou shalt not kill. That's what the Bible says. How many of you believe that adultery is sin? Okay, some of you don't believe that. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm at the right, am I at the right church? What about lying? Is that a sin? What about stealing? See, most of us believe that those things are clearly sin. But so is partiality. We, we, don't, we don't get upset about who we mistreat, who we look down on, who we talk bad about. They live in that neighborhood. I actually had a pastor's son during vacation Bible school. He was asked to pray, and he went to one of these prestigious Christian schools, and his prayer was, Lord, I thank you that I don't live where these kids live that I'm praying for. <laughs> He lives in the suburbs of uh, Delaware. That don't give you the right to be talking about, I thank you that I'm not like them. But he was being sincere. He saw that as somehow the favor of God. That doesn't make you better. It just means you're different. It means you're different. It doesn't, being, showing partiality doesn't mean that you aren't I'm colorblind. I know. God is a God of variety. When you go to Baskins and Robbins, you look for, they got 35, what is it? 35 different flavors. You don't say, well, all I care about, all of them are same. No, you go because of the variety. God is a God of diversity, a God of variety. He's a God that created salt and pepper. Thank you, Jesus. And mustard. God bless you. Favoritism is evil. Favoritism is wrong because it judges people based on externals. Favoritism is evil because God calls it sin. It's sin. Favoritism is also wrong because it contradicts the grace of God. In verses 5 through 7, he says, Hasn't God chosen the poor to, have, to be great or rich in faith? 
See, pastor, when you become a pastor, you become rich in faith. So when you go to the grocery store and you got to pay for your grocery bill, just say, give them a faith check. And they'll be cool with that. No, no, no. The faith checks don't count. They don't, they don't, they don't, they bounce. What he's saying is that here's how being partial or racist or, or, or mistreating people based on external differences contradicts the grace of God. He said that God didn't save people because of what they didn't have. He saved them in spite of what you didn't have. He didn't save you because you had money, because if he did, I would not be saved. And then he adds, it is the rich who take you to court. It is the rich who blaspheme that name that you are worshiping and glorifying. And he's not saying that there's something wrong with wealth and riches. What he's saying is he didn't save them, those who are, based on what they have. He didn't save you because of what you didn't have, nor does he save us because of what we do have. We are saved by grace through faith. Unmerited favor. Grace is Christ, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. Unmerited faith, undeserved. We can't, we can't, we don't deserve it, nor can we earn it. Lest any man, here's how, here's how when we mistreat God's creation, people that we say that are part of the same family, the body of Christ, contradicts the grace of God. One, if we say God saves people because of what they have or don't have, then that makes him partial. He excludes people. And the Bible says that God is no respecter. So God is not partial. If he were, then he would be a sin. God would be guilty of sin, and then that would violate his nature. So it would be a contradiction for God to do anything that goes against his nature. God is not partial, nor should we be. Here's another reason why mistreating people that are part of the body of Christ and people that are part of God's creation contradicts grace is because if God were showing favoritism based on what we already have, then we would have a basis to boast. You could pray, God saved me because I'm a doctor of religion. God saved me because I've got more money in the bank than you do. God said, thank God that he doesn't allow mankind to figure out how to sell oxygen because we'd be all out there laying in the street dead. It's a contradiction. Remember the story when you get a chance in Acts chapter 10. I'm not going to read it. Peter's on the roof. He's in a place called Joppa. And while he is sleeping on the roof, he has his dream. And in the dream, meats that Jews were told from the day they could understand never to eat because they're defiled, they're unclean. And so those meats appear to Peter, who is dreaming, and he's starving. And a voice from heaven says, eat, Peter. And Peter said, Not, they ain't going to touch my Jewish lips. Ain't no pig feet touching my Jewish lips. <laughs> those, uh, those ribs, those, those pork ribs and those, those chitlins smell pretty good, but they ain't touching my lips. And then a second time, the same images appear, and the voice says, Peter, eat. And Peter says, no mas, no mas. No mas. And then the third time, those same images appear, and then the voice says, whatever God has cleansed, don't you dare call dirty 
Don't you dare reject it. Don't you dare look down on someone who has received the same cleansing, saving grace that you have. Your grace is no better than mine. Mine is no better than yours. The same Jesus who stood and took those blows and was hung on the cross died for you just like he died for me. When I treat another Christian or another person as less than me, what I have done, I have, I have actually desecrated the grace of God. Because what God has called clean, I may look a little dirty on the outside, but I hear the word of God saying, if any man be in Christ, if any woman be in Christ, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you live. I don't care how much money you have or don't have. If you are in Christ, you are a brand new creation. Favoritism is wrong because it contradicts the grace of God. And I got a lot more sermon than we have time. <laughs> Never tell a preacher that. <laughs> Faith that works not only refuses to show partiality, but it loves like God, God loves. Watch, when you get a, mo a moment, I want you to read verse 8. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well when we do that. And we know that that's the second, when, when, when Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? And he said, there are two. First, love God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. And then he said, the second is like unto the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. True faith loves like God loves. It loves its neighbor, irregardless of what color he is. Irregardless to even their sexual preferences. Now, remember this. God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. We sin not because uh, we, we, we sin because we're sinners. And the reason why we are sinners, the Bible says, the Bible said, come to Christ just as we are. People need to be saved. That's why they do what they do. So well, I was born this way. Jesus said, you need to be born again. So when you get born again, your sexual preference will change what God says it should be. But we don't start there. People, these are come as you are, and I will in no wise cast out. We love all of those who God loves. But we hate, just like God hates the sin in our life, we should hate the sin in, in sinners, but we ought to love the sinners so much that they ask a reason of the hope that is within us. And we respond not in arrogance, not in superiority, but in meekness and trembling about the goodness of Jesus. Stay with me. Faith that works seeks to keep the, keep the, ten, the in, seeks to keep, say seeks to keep the complete law. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Here's verse 10. For whosoever shall, whosoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, he's guilty of all. How many links in the chain do you have to break before the entire chain is broken? Just one. So what he's saying is, you may not be a murderer. You may never cheat on your spouse. You may not even cheat on your taxes. But if you're guilty, 
of discriminating against a person because of the color of their skin? Because you think somehow the crew you hang with or the crew that you don't hang with is less than you, and you treat them that way? You've broken the entire law because that is equally as much a sin as these other sins are from God's perspective. All you have to do is be guilty of one sin to break the whole chain. And so the love, the, the, the kind of love that God has that is demonstrated in our life attempts to not live by certain parts of the Bible, but the complete law. Are you trying to live by the complete law or just the parts of the Bible that you like? Faith, here we're going to finish with this. Faith that works is merciful to all. Listen to this. So speak and so as those who will judge, we judge by the law of liberty. Say law of liberty. For judgment is, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. So what he's saying about the love of God is that when we are executing judgment, when we're making decisions about how a person should be treated based on an offense, let's use it as an offense. The same way that you would take the word of God to apply to yourself if you did the same thing, that's the way impartiality, impartiality says, I'm going to treat you the same way. I'm not going to treat my children better than your children if they're guilty of the same thing. I'm not going to call sin sin because it's your child or your husband, but it's not sin because it's my husband and my child. He said, if you don't show mercy when it's time for you to be judged by the law of liberty, God is not going to give you mercy. But when the faith that works, that, that is like God, it will be impartial. It will, be un, it will not be subjective when, when executing judgment and decisions that are based on the scripture. You're going to follow every precept, every line. You're going to be objective and fair based on what God has said. You're not going to mistreat people because they're not a part of your group. You're not going to overlook that they didn't pay, but you're, they didn't pay. They're going to jail, but your friends didn't pay either, but they get in. That's, that's, that's merciless judgment. And God says the same word that you can use hard, harshly, the same word that can be the letter of the law or the spirit of the law, because Jesus came to institute the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Grace and mercy came through Jesus. That when I'm operating and how I'm dealing with people, even the ones who've mistreated me, I'm not going to operate out of my anger, but I'm going to operate out of mercy. And mercy is when you give somebody what they don't deserve. pastor received a phone call from his son-in-law, and he said, my wife has just left me for another man from another church, and our children are here. The two children that we bore together are crying as she's leaving. And he tried to convince the daughter, the pastor, not to leave. She packed the things. She left, moved in with another man. Months later, stand with me. This daughter who left her husband for another man, father and the pastor, husband learns and pastor learns that now she's pregnant with a third child from this new man 
that she moved in with. And this is how it kind of goes. Once responsibilities kick in, the brother who promised you the world, the man, he walks out. And now here she is with the third child, and she's alone. And one Sunday, she got up enough courage to go back to her father's church. He didn't know. It's communion Sunday, and the pastor's sitting at the front of the church with his wife and all the deacons and the elders, and they're looking real holy and sanctimonious. And one of the ushers gives the pastor a, a, a note. I'm here, Dad. Can I sit with you? When the father read the note here in the church on Communion Sunday, I'm getting ready to preach. You pregnant and very pregnant. Sierra kind of pregnant. <laughs> and you want to sit with me? You left your husband, your two children. You humiliated me. You disrespected God and all the things you were ever taught. You want, he thinks, he's not saying all these things. He writes on the back, no, you can't sit with us. And just as the music cues in and he's getting ready to walk up to the pulpit to preach about the love of God, the Holy Spirit kicks in. He says, how can I mistreat her for her sin when all the things that I ever did, whenever I've gone to the Lord, not only has he forgiven me, but he's removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. And he put a sign out, don't no fishing here, because he cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. And then he sent a note with the usher back to his daughter. You can sit with me. It doesn't matter what you've done. All that matters is that you have a heart that is prepared to receive the grace and the mercy of God. I wonder today, are there people in the church that can't sit with you? I wonder if there are people who have offended you. If you were really to be truthful and, and real, as the young folks say, I'm just keeping it real. Okay, that's why you broke and okay, keep it real. Are there family members that you dare not call? Are there people that you would never invite to this church? Are there people that you're still angry with because they never apologized? They never made it right. They never cared enough to even acknowledge that you were wounded. Can they sit with you? I want to suggest to you that if they can't sit with you, then you have a spirit of partiality. You have a spirit of unforgiveness. You have a spirit that God calls sin and evil. It's time. It's time for us to grow up and be like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.